Welcome to our living room. Be My Valentine, a short poem by Hollywood. I said to you, oh please be mine. Be mine forever valentine. When I said it, I must have seemed like quite a fool. Although I thought I was being pretty cool. So if you'll be with me, I'll love you for every day of my life. I'll love you around the clock. I hope you'll love me too, my body, mind, and soul, and not just my massive, and I really do mean massive, heart. Welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Happy Valentine's Day. Now crank it up. Hey, Sonny, have I ever told you about my massive 10-inch record? (laughs) I've got a 12-inch record. Mine's only 10, but that's around. It's a 33 and a third. You know, it goes on the turntable. It spins around and around. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. I was trying to keep the poem, you know, PG. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. So a box of chocolates, TikTok around the clock, and loving you with my massive heart. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, we're here celebrating Valentine's Day, and we figured, hey, what better way to celebrate Valentine's Day than doing a heart top 10? And that's Heart the Band. So it's all about Anne and Nancy Wilson and a little bit of personal romance stories from you and I, right? Yeah, it's Valentine's Day. And we were thinking about, you know, doing some sort of theme about, you know, love songs and songs about relationships and songs with the heart in the title. And then we started talking about, well, why don't we just do a top 10 heart? I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, let's go with that. And then, you know, we figured we'd talk some fun because it is Valentine's Day. And instead of being with our women, we're doing this stupid thing. So we figured we might as well at least talk about them a little bit. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, we actually have women, but we're still podcasters. That's unbelievable. That's an enigma. And I don't have a basement. I actually have a room. Me too. Holy shit. We're living at the top of our game right now. That's right. So this episode's going to be fun, all about Anne and Nancy Wilson, plus a little bit of Valentine's love, since this episode is so nicely releasing on Valentine's Day. So before we get too deep into that, we got to do this.
It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. So tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight has a little bit of a Valentine's tie-in. So tonight we're going to feature the new one from WET. W-E-T off their newest album, Retransmission. WET consists of Jeff Scott Soto on vocals, Eric Martinson from Eclipse on rhythm guitar and some lead guitar, backing vocals and keyboards. Eric does it all. Robert Sale from Work of Art on keys and guitar. We also got Magnus from Eclipse. Andreas Passmark on bass and Robin Beck on drums. Check out this tune called One Final Kiss. We just a minute before you say, I got something you ought to know. Your blind position leading the way. I just assumed I would lay. Yeah, so we've had that album for a while. 
this album, it could end up in my top 10 at the end of the year. And I know it's only Valentine's Day, but that is what it is. This song is interesting because the beginning of the song and the verses feels like a Rocky theme, but then the pace and the melody changes in the chorus. So it gets a little more melodic. And I will tell you, this is a good song. It's not even the best song on that CD. That CD has an amazing set of songs. Yeah, I would go so far as to say, I second everything that you just said as well, but I would go so far as to say this might be my favorite wet record. It's really a good, solid, hard rocking record. It really sounds good. And I like a lot of the stuff on this record. So yeah, we'll see where this ends up in the final part of the year. But you know, before we go too far away from Frontiers and this wet record, I got to tell you, so I see this post today, some guy post on the Frontiers website that he can't find Frontiers records on any of the streaming platforms. Somebody comes on there and it's like, what streaming platforms are you listening to? Because all the Frontier stuff is on Apple Music, it's on Spotify, it's on... He's like, I'm, I listen to Pandora and something else, and I can't find anything. <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, a little Googling, and you could find whatever you need to find, because it's not hard to find Frontier's records anywhere. And he's like, I'm a physical buyer, so I buy stuff, but I like to stream it, to listen to it in my car and stuff like that. And I'm I was dumbfounded, I guess. You know, why rock isn't doing well these days is because it seems like the people that were into rock when we were growing up are now so old that they can't even program their Betamax. (laughs) I'll tell you, I love Frontiers. They make it difficult to buy stuff because it's coming from somewhere else. Like I wanted the wet CD. I wanted the uh, Just Got Soto CD and you got to order it off their website. Like you can't really get it super quick. You know, you can get it off Amazon and you can run it through Amazon Music, et cetera. But if you want a physical copy, it's not the easiest thing to get. You think that's because they're an Italian company? Do they not have any U.S. pressers? That's possible. And maybe they're looking at it going, look, if somebody in the U.S. really wants it, they'll get it the way we send it kind of thing. Doesn't bug me. I'm not a collector. So yeah, for me, it's not really about the collecting always. And a lot of times I'll get the CD and many times the CD will be available on the band's website instead. So I'll go there and possibly even get it signed. So that's how I got a lot of the heat stuff. So it's not always just albums or LPs. A lot of the times just buying the CDs because I want the art and I want, you know, all the stuff that's inside, whether it's uh, lyrics or who will play it on each track, that kind of thing. Right. All right. Well, I think it's time for Sexy Time. Yeah, it's me, Jackie Murray. Come on, give me that look. That's right. Let's get sweaty. Let's get real sweaty. I'm talking rainforest sweaty. I'm talking swamp sweaty. Let's fill a bathtub full of sweat.
So before we get to the topic at hand, which is heart, since it's Valentine's Day, I figured we'd talk a little bit about Valentine's Day. So your wonderful wife, Jen, is she a gotta have a box of chocolates or is she a flowers person on Valentine's Day? Well, like all females, of course she loves chocolate, but I think that she would probably prefer flowers on Valentine's Day versus chocolate. Yeah, Nicole is a little bit pickier on the candy that she eats, so she's more of a flower person, but she likes it to be more of a surprise instead of it show up on February 14th, right? So it feels forced, like somebody's making you do it on Valentine's Day, so she's actually happier if the thing comes a month early. But this year, I did something a little different, so just going to let everybody know we're not getting sponsored by these guys. I'm just telling you I did a little different. I got some 24-karat gold-dipped roses from a website called IHateStevenSinger.com. This is real. This is not a joke. It's IHateStevenSinger.com. Check it out. Fairly inexpensive for what you get. And they're not a sponsor, but they're roses that don't die. So they're sitting on on her side of the bathroom there by her sink, and she loves them. Uh, I don't want to give this guy too much of an ad, but who the hell is Steven Singer? I have no idea. Don't know. I've actually heard of this company before but I don't know anything about them. Do they only sell flowers or do they sell everything? I didn't really look at the rest of the website. I'm assuming he has other things and he has more than just red roses. He's got other types of flowers, Yeah. but I don't know what else kind of stuff he's got. I, I was just kind of hit it and quit it on the site. Yeah. Interesting. Well, here's the thing that Jen really loves. She loves to get mail. Like US mail? Like mail. I swear to God, her mom and sisters keep the U.S. postal system in business. And I'm not even exaggerating. Between them, they buy more damn stamps and send each other more damn cards and letters. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so she loves to get mail. Obviously, she likes cards and things like that, right? But maybe it's just the act of going to the mailbox and getting something with your name on it and opening it. But I'm going to make it a point, and I'll keep this just between you and me and the audience. And by the time they hear this, it will already have happened. But I'm going to write a nice Valentine's Day card, and I'm going to send that to her in the mail to our address. So she'll get it. And I think that'll make her happy. So that's one of the things that I'm going to do uh, for her on Valentine's Day. And then she's a meat and potatoes kind of girl, which I absolutely love. So. Uh, I'll probably, you know, do a nice steak and potatoes for her or something, cook her a nice dinner on Sunday night, on Valentine's night. So that's my plans. That's sweet. That's sweet. So for this sweet woman, what do you think her first impression was of you when you guys met? Well, I can tell you what she told me. She told me her first impression was she thought I had really nice eyes. That's what she told me. Now, our first date was meeting at a Longhorn Steakhouse for dinner. Uh, and we ended up talking for probably, I don't know, a couple of hours maybe. That's how, about how long dinner was. And it was on a weeknight. So both of us were just coming from work. Uh, it wasn't a weekend thing or anything like that. It was really kind of casual 
uh, meet and greet type thing. So that was what she told me. Her first impression of me was she really liked my eyes and she thought I was really easy to talk to. Oh, that's cool. Uh, my story's a little different. <laughs> Although our story starts like three years later when we work together. I guess three years prior. And when you're together more than half your lives, you start connecting dots of things that may have happened. Three years prior, we used to work at competing stores, probably about 15 miles from each other. And what would happen is if my store ran out of supplies or whatever, my store manager would say, hey, go stop by that store and go pick up these supplies that they're holding for us, right? So I can only imagine, I went there in a car, obviously. I probably was on a way to a concert you know, in San Francisco or Oakland, I'm probably in boots, leather jacket. I got long hair at the time. So I'm, you know, walking in there like I own the place and I'm like, Hey, I'm here to pick up supplies. The store that I'm going to, they're looking at it going, you guys don't know how to order supplies that you always got to borrow from us or whatever. So she thought I was a complete ass and I was too full of myself. That was her first impression of me. I didn't make that impression any better three years later because the first impression I was an ass because I walked into a room. I shook the hand for the person that I knew that was in the room that was directly in front of me. We went to go walk the store because I was new to the store and she was sitting in a chair and I ignored her. I didn't even know she was there. So if you don't know this about me yet, you know, let's face it, you know, I'm a personality that's kind of a acquired taste. I would say like a fine wine. What's a beautiful bride like you doing with a malacca like this, huh? It's purely sexual. No shit. She's into malacca's, Dino. Uh, your, your personality is more like ripple, cheap and nasty, but I'm like more of an acquired taste. I always say, go with your first impressions. <laughs> she was, there's no way she was dead on. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Uh, All right. So let's get to the topic at hand. We'll start with a quick history lesson here on heart. Many, many people know heart. They had major hits. You ask somebody that is a music fan. Do you know Heart? Yes. Could you name four or five songs? If they listened to any radio, they watched any MTV, they could probably name four or five songs pretty easily. Heart was formed in 1970. I think that surprises people because most folks that are my age have the same bang zone for Heart that probably I do, which is between like 85 and 90 because that's when they were having a lot of hits. But they were formed in 70 in Seattle. Core members, Roger Fisher on guitar, Steve Fawson on bass, of course, Ann and Nancy, Ann sang lead, played flute. You can tell what kind of music they were playing. And Nancy was on rhythm guitar and back and vocals and occasionally did lead vocals. And then Mike DeRozier on drums. And then Howard Least was also on guitars and keyboards. And this is the band that was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2013. Now, Hart kind of started with like this folk music. They didn't really start with super hard rock music. They had it mixed in, but... The popularity from the mid-70s to when they kind of got started to the early 80s kind of dropped off. Then they made a successful comeback in 85. That's when they catch me because I catch them on MTV. They have this major set of hits all the way through probably the early 90s. Then they kind of disband in 98, say, you know, we're going to do whatever. Come back in 2002, play for a while. The sisters have a fight. They go on hiatus. 14 years later in 2016, and now they made up three, four years later, and they're back at it. They've sold millions and millions and millions of records worldwide. They're ranked number 57 on VH1's 100th Greatest Artists of Hard Rock. I would tell you that 
there is many, many people that feel that the Wilson sisters were the beginning of the revolution for women in music. And they broke the genre barriers, right? They were in rock and there were women. Even people like Lizzie Hale once said, Heart was the first female fronted band I heard and was influenced by. I heard Heart and was like, oh, singing like that as a girl is actually a thing? That's why there's so much heart in Lizzie Hale's Hailstorm's music. These guys have had over 30 member changes in the last 50 years. The sisters have been obviously there the whole way. They got 16 studio albums. Nine live albums, nine compilation albums, nine of those went platinum, four of them went gold. They've had 20 top 40 hits, seven of them went top 10, two of them went number one. So these guys are a staple in rock. That's how you got to the Rock and rock and Roll Hall of Fame to begin with. My Bang Zone, like I said, is 1985 to about 1991. When I share my songs, more than half of the songs I like are from that era. I didn't really get into Heart before 85, obviously. What is your story with Heart? So my story with Heart started in the mid to late 70s. They were a staple of AM, FM radio when I was growing up. That was my first introduction to Heart. Then later on, you know, I got back into them around 85 and went and discovered a lot of stuff that I missed because it wasn't like I owned any albums from those earlier years when I was just growing up. I was basically hearing the hits on radio. So that was my introduction to Heart. I will tell you that I went and I read the uh, Wilson Sisters book that they put out. It was one of the first books that I read in terms of rock biographies when I started reading that type stuff. And uh, it's a really good book. And this band was full of all kinds of controversy and relationships and things like that. Yeah, Roger Fisher and Steve Fossen were there from the beginning, but Nancy Wilson actually wasn't there from the beginning. Ann Wilson moved up to Toronto to join the band with Roger and Steve, and she was in a relationship with Roger, and she's the one that kind of later on bought Nancy into the fold. And the Wilson sisters... Uh, you know, they were huge Joni Mitchell fans. So that's why a lot of the earlier stuff has that folky feel, that folky influence, because they were bought up on Joni Mitchell and things like that. I mean, they were just huge fans. And then at the same time, they were getting infused with all this stuff going on from like the Zeppelins of the world and things like that. Uh, you know me, I got to have rock and roll. It can't be all about flutes and uh, folk music. So... I like these uh, sisters because they know how to rock. So have you ever seen them live? I have seen them live many, many times. When they were out in 85 and having so much success, they rolled through a town that I worked at the arena. So I, I got my backstage pass somewhere from that tour hanging out around here. And then I've seen them multiple times. In fact, I saw them not last year because last year was COVID. The year before that, I saw them when they rolled through town and they had uh, Brandy Carlisle opening up for them and uh, they had a good set. I enjoyed their set. Uh, so I saw them pretty recently. I've only seen them twice. It was twice in a four month period and it was in 1990, August of 90, December of 90. Mm -hmm. Black Crows opened for them wow. in August of 90. That's why I went to go see them because I loved that first Black Crows record. Yeah. And then Cheap Trick opened for them in December of 90. 
you can get the full concert and it's pro shot pretty much on YouTube. It's called Brigade Live Mountain View 1990. And uh, the whole set is on. There's like an hour and a half, hour 50, somewhere in there. I would tell you, I enjoyed them live because some of the songs I wasn't in love with got a little faster. I would even tell you like songs like If Looks Could Kill were probably a little too fast. Like there's no doubt because I've read enough of this stuff and I'm sure it was in the book. They were not in love with the era that I love mm-hmm. because they didn't write a lot of that era mm-hmm. and they didn't feel like they needed to come back. But reality is that's where they sold all their records. So it is what it is. I don't think they liked being sexed up. That is what it is too. That's what they really didn't like. Yeah. And uh, so the songs got, instead of them being a little more pop oriented live, they're a little more rock, which was, I think they made me even fall in love with them even more. I never really got a chance to see them ever again. I'm not exactly sure why, because they were good live. I mean, they weren't, there was no bombs going off and, you know, they weren't running all over the place, but they had good energy and it was good songs and man, and can sing. And we'll talk about that, but good Lord. The notes that she hits live are amazing. Yeah, definitely pretty amazing live in terms of their actual talent. So, yeah, we'll get into all that as we go along. Mm, February 14th. It's a whole day about sex, romance, and sexy romance. So happy Valentine's Day. So let's start with the top 10. Stephen, we're going to have you go first. Share your 10, 9, and 8 and share how you kind of came about the 10 songs you're going to pick. So this one was actually tougher for me than I actually thought it would be because for me, Heart is a lot about the, I won't call them hit songs, but I'll call them known songs. Some of them were hits, some of them were just known. And I liked a lot of that stuff. That was my anchor to Heart. There's a lot of stuff on their records that is slower and I'm not into that kind of stuff, although I appreciate their vocals and their harmonies and things like that. I like the rock and roll and I like their rock and stuff. And when they do a good mixture of some of the folky stuff, but mix it in with the rock stuff and the harmonies that the two sisters share, I think it comes out really amazing. They got some really good stuff. So the way that I ended up picking my stuff was a little bit of mixture of songs you'll definitely know, but I also threw some songs that are definitely deep cuts and way out of uh, left field. So we'll talk about that. I'll start with my 10, 9, and 8. Okay? So at number 10, coming off the Heart self-titled record from 1985, I like The Wolf. This is a cool tune. It rocks. I like the groove in it. So that's at number 10 for me. At number 9, this is definitely a deep track. The song is called The Oldest Story in the World, and it's actually off a more recent album. But that song is an interesting song because I didn't know a whole lot about this song, but the more I listened to it, I really dug this tune.
Number eight is a little bit more of a well-known tune. It's from the earlier era of Heart, and that is Heartless. That's my 10, 9, and 8. Okay, so from those, and I'll tell you how I got came about my list, but only one of them made my list, and it did not make my top 10, and that was The Wolf. What I did was I went and listened to every one of the 160-plus songs that Hart has. I came up with 28 that I liked. Four albums, I Love You, Wilson Sisters, were absolutely unlistenable. There was not a single song I liked on it. Really? And that, yes. What four records? I can't tell you right off the bat. I could tell you what 12 records I got stuff off of, but I don't remember the four records that I didn't get stuff off of. But maybe it'll come up in the conversation. Because there's not many records that there was nothing that I didn't like off of it. Jupiter's Darling was at the top of the list, by the way. That's the one that uh, the oldest story in the world came off of. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like anything. You don't like that song at all? <laughs> no. Oh, man. And the major reason is I really don't like folk music at all. It doesn't do anything for me. Anything that even kind of feels a little folky, if it doesn't have some crunchy guitar, I'm not even going to give it a shot. But I seriously listen to all 160 songs. I will tell you that the 28 that I like, I really, really like. That's why I listen to Heart. There isn't very many bands out there that I'm going to listen to 160 songs and only like 28 and ever probably listen to them again. But some of these songs are staples in my life, right? And like I said, the Bang Zones are 85 to 90. So my number 10 was actually from a, well, I guess you can call it a newer record, but it's a record called Desire Walks On, and it's a song called Black on Black 2. So it was just released as a radio promo single, got to number four on the mainstream rock charts. The song was actually in nine and a half weeks. It was on the soundtrack in 86 by a band called The Bellow, and then rewritten with Lisa DeBello, Anne and Nancy, and renamed it Back on Black 2 and released it a few years later. The song's a total gem from obviously later works, and it's a deep cut. Anne's voice, my God, when she is singing like that, there's a line that's black on black. She is singing in a register that not very many people can touch. You have got to love a woman who has got a voice, a range, rock, rasp, without that musical theater stuff we were talking about before, like, what? like she doesn't do that, right? It is a rock voice. And so, yeah, Black on Black 2 from Desire Walks On is my number 10. Joy. 
my number nine is actually the only song I like off Passionworks, and it's How Can I Refuse. It was released as a first single. It's a little more up-tempo. I like the lyrics because it kind of addresses this feeling of infatuation at the beginning of a romantic relationship kind of thing. Uh, got to number 44 on the Billboard 100. Music feels a little foreigner. Like if you first put it on, you might be thinking you're listening to Hot Blooded until kind of the, the rest of the music kicks in. So it's got a little bit of that to it. It's also 1983, so the timing's not completely perfect, but it's got that feel. If the entire Passionworks album was like How Can I Refuse, I would love the album. But the rest of the album is uh, not that way. If it was, I think they would have had Pat Benatar type success because Pat Benatar was all over the charts in the early 80s because she was actually doing those rock type songs. They wouldn't have needed the comeback in 85, right? But I think they were trying to stick to their guns and uh, fans just weren't having it, basically. My number eight is actually from Brigade and it's a song called Wild Child. So another radio promo single got to number three on the mainstream rock charts. I'm not exactly sure why they did radio promo singles. Maybe because they didn't want to do hard copies. I, I don't know. Like if you're going to put it out there and it's a good song, and it's good enough for radio to play. This is 1990. Go put it out as a CD single or a single or whatever. I, I don't get it. This song was written by Mutt Lang, Craig Joyner, and Anthony Mittman. So while I'm doing and listening to this 160 songs, that's when I realized that starting about 85, and it started a little bit before that too, a lot of songs were written by other people. And that's what created some of the comeback. And I did not realize how many hard songs I liked that aren't actually written by Anne and Nancy, uh, which is fine because there's a lot of artists like that that I like. But uh, I was surprised that like Mutt was involved in this one. Uh, but Wild Child is the opening track on Brigade, and it's got a little bit of that crunch guitar mixed in the music, and it's got an absolutely just hummable chorus. It, it'll like get in your head and like swim around there. So that's my 10, 9, and 8. What do you think? Yeah, Wild Child just missed my list. I love Wild Child. It is definitely probably my favorite tune on Brigade. Really, really good song. How Can I Refuse? We're going to talk about a little bit later on, but yeah, I got no issues with that. And then Black on Black 2 just missed my list. And Anne's voice on that song is like a crystal clean, gleaming knife just cutting through the air. Man, she is so damn sharp on that song. It's unbelievable. This is a later record for them, so Anne is not... 23 at this point you know and she, yes i understand it's in the studio but she is just sharp as a knife and that song i like that song quite a bit yeah all right so let let me ask you a, another question about jen here before we go on with the heart thing would jen rather have a plan for your valentine's date together or get surprised with a whole date already planned out like you plan it all out I don't know, you blindfold her. Not that I'm trying to get kinky nothing with Jen. And uh, I don't know, you surprise her somehow about where you're going. Well, she definitely would much rather get surprised with the whole date already planned because something already planned basically speaks for our entire extracurricular activities. So, <laughs> so, so every Saturday night at 4 p.m. No, no. There's not, lovey time. No, no, no. Not like that. I don't mean it that way. <laughs> If any vacations, any getaways, that's me. Just I'm your cruise planner. You're welcome. 
<laughs> so that's how she definitely prefers it is uh, surprises and uh, everything already planned out uh, where she doesn't have to do any thinking. Yeah. With Nicole, you know, she likes the whole present thing to be a surprise, but trips have to be planned. I think she would say she would still like to be surprised, but with the kids being involved, it gets very difficult to pull off. And reality is the kids rat you out at some point because, you know, somebody will inadvertently say, well, mom, when you go to blah, 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 it's like, really, dude, <laughs> you were supposed to keep that as a surprise. So they kind of rat you out anyway. So it's tough to keep it a surprise. Yeah. Well, you can't, you can only do so much surprising because I mean, my wife is no different. She has a job that requires a lot of her time and we have pets that we have to take care of. So I can't just pick up and whisk her away without talking to her first about certain things. And usually the way that I pull that off is I'll be like, Hey, can you be free on this day or this day or this night or this night? And then just not tell her anything. And she'll tell me, yes, she can be free. And then I'll block it out on the calendar, that kind of thing. Yeah. So let's try a little Valentine's Day trivia. Let's have a little fun with this. How many cards do you think are sent out on Valentine's Day each year? And I'll give you four choices here. Is it 500 million, 1 billion, 2 billion, or 10 billion? Is Valentine's Day celebrated anywhere else but the U.S.? I don't even know if that's an international holiday. I don't know. It's a made-up holiday that, that uh, Hallmark made up anyway to sell more cards. Well, I can tell you 500 million people don't live in the U.S., so it must be a world holiday. And that's the lowest answer. I'm going to take the lowest answer. All right. So you're going to say 500 million. The answer is actually 1 billion. <laughs> Valentine's Day cards is the second largest holiday for send out behind Christmas. All right. All right. We'll try another one here. What percentage of flowers purchased on Valentine's Day do you think are red? Ooh, that's got to be high, man. I'm going to say 98%. Of all the roses purchased on Valentine's Day, only 69% are red. 69. <laughs> I'm just telling you, six are pink, 6% are peach salmon, five yellow, four white, seven mixed, and four other. I don't know what other colors are, but uh, whatever. So, a little trivia for you. All right, let's get back to the music. Share your uh, 765. All right. So, coming in at number seven for me is another heart classic, Straight On. Love the groove in this song. Awesome tune. At number six... We said we would talk about it a little bit later. How Can I Refuse comes in at number six for me. I love the melody off of this song. There's something about this melody and the hook in this song that I just can't refuse. You get it? <laughs> yeah, I got it. <laughs> and this one might be a surprise for a lot of people who know my musical taste. But coming in at number five for me... And I didn't know whether to classify this as a ballad because I know we said we would do something a little separate with the ballads, but I didn't want to miss with this. And it really is a song that I enjoy a lot is These Dreams. Now, this one's not written by Anne or Nancy Wilson. This is written by somebody named Bernie Taupin. You may know that name and Martin Page. And I know that name, even if you don't. So, Bernie Taupin is longtime lyricist, writing partner with Elton John, wrote all the big hits with Elton John. 
So I'm assuming that he wrote the lyrics on this song because that's what Bernie does. He's a lyricist. Martin Page must have wrote the music. And who Martin Page is, is he's sort of an adult contemporary artist who's also a songwriter and had some pretty big hits along the way. He wrote a big hit uh, for Earth, Wind, and Fire. He also wrote We Built This City for Starship and These Dreams, which I love. Well, I spent a month and a half on the road with Martin Page while he was supporting The House of Stone and Light, which was his contemporary top 40 album that did really well for him. So I have a little bit of a connection with Martin Page, super nice guy, had a really good time on that tour. And that's not why I love the song. I love the song because the song is a damn good song. These dreams.
The biggest hit he wrote, King of Wishful Thinking. Do you remember that song? Another great song by Go West, right? Go West, that's right. That's a great tune as well, yeah. Yeah. All right, so your seven, six, and five, all three of those made my list, two of my top ten, two on my top ten, and one on my ballads list. So now, for the listeners, we did not share our top tens with each other because when it comes down to some of these top five, top tens, we try to keep uh, ours a mystery, and every once in a while it happens. But my number seven is also straight on (laughs) from Dog and Butterfly. First single that cracked the top 20, right? So great song. And uh, it's, you know, that mid-tempo rocker, almost a little funky. Yeah. Right? It's got the little bass disco line kind of thing going on. So I, I like it.
My number six is from Bad Animals, Who Will You Run To? It was their second single off of Bad Animals. Song peaked at number seven on the Billboard 100. Songs written by Diane Warren. And man, Diane Warren wrote some big hits. And all of those hits are catchy, just like this one. All of those hits are radio-friendly, just like this one. And Bad Animals really is about the last album I consistently listen to from heart. And my number five, it may be a little low depending on how big of a heart fan you are, but from Dreamboat Annie, my number five is Magic Man. I usually listen to the single version because it's like two minutes shorter because it doesn't have that drawn-out instrumental in it. And Magic Man was her second single, got to number nine on the Billboard 100. And I love that the lyrics are like, you know, about like a young girl, but, you know, is getting seduced by this older man. Like it's got a kind of a kitschy thing to it. Dreamboat Annie has some good songs, and then there's some just brutal songs to listen to. Like, I, Dreamboat Annie is absolute hit and miss for me. But this song, the lick kind of prods along, right? It doesn't really kind of take off, but it kind of tells you that you can have a simple guitar rhythm. It doesn't really matter as long as the vocalist and the melody is outstanding. You can still have a great song. That's kind of what Magic Man is to me. So that's my seven, six, and five. Very good. Yeah. Magic Man, we're going to talk about a little bit later on for me. Who Can You Run To? I absolutely love. It just missed my list. And everything you said about it is is straight on. Get it? Straight on? <laughs> Boy, I can tell you, Jen is not in love with your wit. That's for damn sure. Damn, my wit is charming. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All kinds of bad. Good so far, man. The lists are good. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so we'll take a quick break, a quick Valentine's break. Go get some chocolate. Go get some flowers for your love. And help the podcast out by going and leaving us a five-star review at Podchaser or at Apple Music or wherever you happen to listen to this podcast. If it's entertaining you, leave us a five-star review. If it's not entertaining you, move along. (laughs) That's as, that's as easy as I can tell you. Uh, we appreciate each and every one of you guys when you listen to us. We don't get paid to do this. We do it for the love of music, and hopefully it entertains you guys. And you guys can pay us back by leaving us a five-star review because the more five-star reviews we get, the better we show up in all of these search engines and everything else so that people keep listening to the Grown Up Rock podcast. That's it. And then you can always join us over on Facebook at the Loud Minority Facebook group. It's a private group where we talk rock and roll. We talk about the themes of the show. And we just generally have positive conversations about rock and roll in there. So it's all good. That's the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. We're the sound of the loud minority. We're the free. Now, pull them roses out of the water, and let's get back to tonight's topic. So is your relationship just like everybody else's, where Valentine's Day is more important during the wooing stage 
then the been married for a while stage, which you haven't been married that long, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Well, I mean, keep in mind, yes, we haven't been married that long, but we were together for a really long time before we got married. So we weren't in a hurry to get married. And and honestly, the only reason we got married was from a legal standpoint, just to make all that stuff much easier. So it had nothing to do with love or trust or being together forever or in sickness and in health. None of that. I'm sure Jen is going to be really happy to hear that. She knows as well as I do. I don't need a piece (laughs) of paper telling me I love her. (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) No piece of paper means that I love you. Anyway, much like a Valentine's card. (laughs) Take that, Hallmark. (laughs) So, you know what? To be honest, I don't remember much about the Valentine's days during the wooing stage of our relationship. Uh, I don't recall doing anything special. I know that we went to some nice dinners and stuff on Valentine's Day, but I don't particularly remember anything like ultra special that we did for Valentine's Day. We went on a couple cruises. I do know that around about that time because that time was always a good time to go on a cruise getaway because they got some really good deals around this time. So as far as being married, I mean, to be honest, we treat it the same way that we've always treated it. I think we usually do like a cart and some sort of dinner and that's about as far as it goes usually. Yeah, we normally don't plan anything nowadays, but there was some years we weren't even together. Like my work would, for whatever reason, schedule stuff around Valentine's Day and around our anniversary. So I would miss every Valentine's Day and anniversary for years and years and years. So that wasn't really good, but, uh, you know, it worked out in the end. I think for me personally, during the wooing stage, it's not really about, oh, my new boyfriend is going to take me to blah, blah, blah. I think it's more about how cool and different you can be versus the past competition of what that person may have done, right? But nowadays, it's more about what the two of you agree to do versus trying to do something super special, probably. So that's my thing there. Fair enough. All right, let's try another trivia question here, since you did so well on the last two. Boom. What continent produces the most roses sold in the U.S. on Valentine's Day? What continent? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Do you know how many continents there are? No. Continents. Oh, my God. No. You don't know how many continents there are? I don't know. That's all school stuff. Wow. I didn't pay attention to that stuff. Dude, how am I supposed to remember something from school 50 years ago? Wow. How many continents are there? There's seven. Very proud of you. What are the seven continents? North America, South America, Europe, Asia. Greenland? No. (laughs) Russia? No. (laughs) Iceland? No. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Let me end the pain. Australia, Antarctica, Africa. Okay. Didn't I say Africa? No, you didn't. So that's the seven. So which one produces the most roses sold in the U.S. on Valentine's Day? Europe. That is incorrect. It is actually South America. Very proud of you. 60% of the roses sold in the U.S. come from South America. Really? Of the roses that are produced in the U.S., where are most of them grown at? Poonie household? Close, because it is California. (laughs) Boom, I win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. 
You really <laughs> sucked it up there. Okay, let's get back to the music. How about your four, three, and two? All right, we got some good ones to make up for all that <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> Let me get back to what I do well, the music. That's even iffy, but go ahead. Yeah, coming in at number four, If Looks Could Kill. I love that tune. I always have loved that tune. That tune just gets me going. I always thought of If Looks Could Kill as sort of a brother-sister song to Wild Child. It's sort of similar in a lot of ways. At number three for me, Magic Man.
Magic Man has so much to love about it, but I just love the feel of that tune. And if I was a really big pothead, this is definitely the song that I would fire up a big fat doobie on because this song is everything pot smoking and hippies were in the 70s, man. This song says it all. Whoa, how did I get here? Man, I'm so high. Got you, hippie. Whoa, dude, not cool. What's up? Man, I need to clear out your giggling stoners and your drum circle hippies right now or soon they're going to attract something much worse. What's that? The college know-it-all hippies. It's kind of psychedelic and just some really nice fuzzy guitar on this tune and some cool grooves. Man, I dig this tune. I've always loved this song. This is one of my earlier heart loves, I think. And number two is a latecomer for me in the fact that I really didn't know of this song much at all until probably when I got back into heart sometime in the late 90s or so. I started hearing some stuff that I wasn't that familiar with. And the song Baby Lestrange is so killer. I fell in love with that song. And you got to hear about two years ago, they put out this live from Atlantic City double CD, double album thing where they had a bunch of guests come and play stuff. And Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers, that Dave Navarro, he gets up and he plays Bibi Lestrange with them. And it's just, I dig the guitar and the groove in that song is so awesome. So that song is number two for me. I really dig that tune. All right. Thank you very much. We'd like to bring up a very special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Navarro!
that's my two, three, and four. So the number four, if looks could kill, we'll talk about a little bit. Magic Man, we already talked about. This Baby Little Strange, there is only one song I liked on that album. And it was Even It Up, and it missed my top ten. I did not like that song. Oh, my God. How do you not like the groove in that tune? Yeah, didn't like it at all. Was that a day that you weren't, that you didn't have, like, your hearing aids in? or Nope, nope. I had mine. That's what I meant. You're not too good at the music either. But anyway. F*** you. Those words mean a great deal to us. They help us express just how we as a company see things differently. My number four is from the self-titled album from 85, Never, uh, written by Holly Knight, Gene Block. And then for some reason, Ann and Nancy started using this pseudonym called Connie. And I don't know if they were trying to like use a fake name to trick the record company so that way they could get some money. I I don't know, but uh, I don't know why why use a pseudonym after you've been together 15 years. That makes no sense. The song got to number four on the Billboard 100. It was a second single off that album, and it's really their comeback album, right? The album ended up going number one. It was five times platinum, where the prior two didn't even go gold, and Nancy looked super hot in the video, so that didn't hurt the song at all. Number three for me is from Dreamboat Annie, and it's the other song that I like from Dreamboat Annie, basically, and it's Crazy on You. And Third single, peaked at number 35 on the Billboard 100. It is a signature song. They played it on induction ceremony at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't really need the first, like, 38 seconds. I usually trim it in the mix. So if I run it, like, off my Apple iTunes, I just kind of started at 39 seconds. But the song has, like, these subdued verses. But that guitar lick under the chorus is just awesome. And it kind of shows you, since Dreamboat Annie is their first album, that Anne had the voice from the beginning. There was no doubt she was going to be one of the best singers in rock history. No doubt at all. So Crazy On You was my number three. And then my number two was If Looks Could Kill. Like, caught you in the act, can't put up with that. Messing where you shouldn't be. I want to hear you say you're sorry. Nobody takes advantage of me. That's gold, dude.
gold i get it they didn't write it so jack conrad and bob garrett wrote it and it was actually recorded by this person named pamela stanley for a film called raw deal in 86 but the pop song it's it's okay this song is should be on basically every 80s compilation out there it's a sing-along song it's got the great singers got a good pace it's radio friendly got great lyrics got the pop sensibilities and it probably is on every 80s compilation out there. If looks could kill, it deserves to be there. Yeah, it's a great tune, as I already said. The only reason that Crazy On You isn't at number one or two for me is fatigue. I think it's an absolutely fantastic song. You're absolutely right. It is a staple song for them. So, yeah, I love that tune. We may have the same number one. We may have. And then Never... Uh, which was your tune, fantastic song. That just missed my list. Uh, but that never in these dreams, those two songs together on that uh, self-titled record is just, it's gold. It's platinum, really. <laughs> they're, they're both <laughs> fantastic. So, And we didn't mention with these dreams being a song that Nancy sings versus Anne, yeah. which is kind yeah. of a rare occurrence, but she does a fantastic job. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about it in my, because uh, I pulled the ballads out of my top 10. But before we get to number one, I got one more trivia question. Okay. Now, this is an interesting one. Since you did like complete shit on the last three, my guess is you're not going to do much better than here. Probably not. How many U.S. states have a city named Valentine? How many states are there? Should we start there? That I know the answer <laughs> to. <laughs> that one I actually know. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 there some might get me on the fact that I guess Puerto Rico is sort of a state. I don't know. No, I'm just talking about the real states. Yeah, yeah, 50 states. Yeah, that one I know. Ding ding! Holy shit! I stayed away for that one. I even know the 50th state, Hawaii, <laughs> or is it Alaska? No, Alaska's 49. How many states have a city named Valentine? Damn, you still want me to answer that question, huh? Tried to smoke screen you. I'm gonna go with 38. What? The? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the answer is four. <laughs> Go figure. And what states would those be? There's a, a Valentine, Arizona, which is in between Flagstaff and Vegas. There is a Valentine, Nebraska, which is at the top of the state close to the South Dakota border. There's a Valentine, Texas, which is between El Paso and San Antonio. And there's a Valentine, Virginia, which is west of Virginia Beach, closer to the North Carolina border. There was the four. Whatever. You need a geography lesson. Yeah. Serious. Well, how am I going to know every city in every state? You didn't know the seven continents, dude. Okay, but I knew the 50 states. Oh, my God. Okay, how about the five oceans? Do you know the five oceans? Indian Ocean, Mediterranean Ocean. No. Oh, uh, that's a sea, isn't it? Indian Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, Pacific Ocean. Was that three? Yeah. And what I got to do, come up with five? Yeah. Do you believe there's five? Well, Trust me, there's five. I get confused with like the Black Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, <laughs> and they got these seas and lakes. It's a bunch of water. Indian Ocean, Pacific Ocean, 
Wow. Atlantic Ocean. I think we learned this like in the second grade, dude. Oh, it's just a long time ago for me. <laughs> it's not like I'm looking at maps every day. That's what part of what you do. <laughs> Look at maps. <laughs> <laughs> so you're looking at them every day. Hold on. What is the rest? Damn it. This is pissing me off now. I don't know. What are the other two? Arctic Ocean. Oh, uh, damn it. Southern Ocean. I would have never gotten that one. I think that one's made that, up. What's no, a Southern Ocean? Where's that at? It's Southern. When you look underneath like Africa, that whole part down uh-huh. there is Southern Ocean. Uh, no, I'd have never gotten that one. Antarctic Ocean, I should have got. It's Arctic Ar- Ocean, not Antarctic <laughs> Ocean. <laughs> Stop making up words. <laughs> Why? It's my podcast. I can do what I want. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Share your number one. Number one. It can't be denied. It is part of my entry into hard rock and rock and roll music and probably is for a lot of people. And my number one absolutely has to be Barracuda. No denying it. You? Same. Uh, It's the only song I like off Little Queen. It's the most recognizable hard song probably there is out there. But what's interesting is, you know, a few podcasts back, it was probably a while ago now, we talked about a Sammy Hagar story of how I Can't Drive 55 was written. Check out the story on this one. So the song was written because Hart was pissed off at Mushroom Records, who as a publicity stunt released this made up story that Ann and Nancy were doing each other. Okay. So Ann goes and writes the lyrics about a male radio promoter who came up to her after a concert asking how her lover was. She kind of thought that maybe the radio promoter was asking about her boyfriend. And then when she found out that the radio promoter was talking about Nancy, she got furious, went back to her hotel room and wrote the lyrics to the song. So, you know, thank you, stupid dumbass, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But that riff, dude, that like that riff is amazing. And the mob does a cover of this song that will blow the hair off your head.
Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable, probably, the amount of songs and artists, really, that this song has inspired in the hard rock and metal world. Because this is one of those songs that, no doubt, influenced a lot of hard rock bands and artists, but probably uh, also did the same for a lot of, like, straight-up heavy metal bands. You know, when this song comes out, this came out in the 70s you know, with the phase shift or uh, at the beginning that that's something that showed up in Van Halen records later on. We talked about that. Uh, you know, I don't know if, it, if he was directly influenced by this song or not, but certainly they were using that early on before Van Halen one came out. Uh, just an unbelievable song. It can't be denied still to this day when that com- when that song comes on. If you're not doing this and, you know, bobbing your head, no matter how billion times you've heard this song, it's just an unbelievable song. Can't be denied. No way. Absolutely. All right. So share with us some that missed your top 10 and your top five heart ballads. Okay. So some that missed my top 10 is a song called Devil's Delight. Who Will You Run To, like I talked about, Wild Child, Never, City's Burning, Crazy On You, White Lightning and Wine, I like a lot, Sing Child, Shell Shock, which was off the debut, re- uh, the not the debut record, but the self-titled record. I like that song a lot. That riff in there is really cool. My top five heart ballads. Off the Dreamboat Annie record, I like the song Dreamboat Annie. It's quiet and it's soothing to me. Uh, and so that's why I like it. And some of that earlier stuff, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit, I don't know, Dungeons and Dragons isn't the right word, you know, Renaissance Festival. Gypsy. <laughs> it's very gypsy. Gypsy, gypsy yeah. Renaissance Festival, that kind of stuff with the flute and all that stuff. But I like that, you know, early in the morning. It's a nice, soothing song. I like Dog and Butterfly quite a bit. That's a great ballad. Uh, there's a song called Love Alive, which I think might be on, it's not on the Dreamboat Annie record. It might be on the Lil' Queen record. I don't remember which one, but Love Alive is a really good song. I Can't Deny Alone. I absolutely love the ballad Alone. And then What About Love? I like quite a bit. Uh, so those are my um, uh, ballads. So for me, the near misses, nothing at all. There's the girl, city's burning, evened it up. Tall, dark, handsome stranger mm-hmm. from Brigade's a good one. Yep. Um, I had the wolf. You ain't so tough. I didn't want to need you. Skin and bones off fanatic. Uh, waiting for an answer off of bad animals. So those were some of my uh, just misses. My top five ballads, because people know I love ballads. My number five is actually a song called Without You on Magazine. So it's the only song I like on Magazine, actually. And it's the same Without You that Mariah Carey did that went to number three in 1994. This is not even a hard song. It's actually a Badfinger song. And Paul McCartney once said, it's the killer song of all time. Goddamn a Beatle says, it's a killer song. It's probably a pretty damn good song. My number four is All I Want to Do is Make Love to You. And it only got, it got to number two because number one was Vogue at the time by Madonna. It wasn't going to get to number one. And uh, there's a great Hailstorm cover of that song. By the way, that song was written by Mutt. My three was What About Love, and I kind of labeled mine as ballad slash slower tempo songs because it's kind of hard to tell with heart kind of what is a ballad and what's a slower tempo song sometimes. But uh, yeah, What About Love was my number three. That one also has an interesting story. It was actually written by this group called Toronto from Canada, 
and Jim Valance was part of the songwriting group and Toronto didn't want to release it. They thought it was a shitty song and the guys who wrote it bounced out of the group because of it. And they somehow got the song. So that's great. My number two was these dreams because it's undeniable. And God damn, I was having dreams. I couldn't even discuss watching that damn video. I could tell you that right now. And then my number one was alone. And I don't know if you know, but John Stamos did a version of alone for the sitcom in 84 called dreams. It's not very good, but the heart took it to number one. So that's a alone is a great song. So let's talk a little bit about all I want to do is make love to you real quick. So this song, this was one of my pet peeves with heart after they had all that success with the debut. This is one of those songs that just irks me. I absolutely can't stand that song. And today, while I was going and doing research, I pulled up this video and there's an interview with Ann Wilson. And so, yeah, you're right. Mutt Lang wrote that song. He actually wrote it for Don Henley and Don Henley passed on the song. So they ended up doing it and she hates it. Ann Wilson hates it. She said it's a bit of a creepy song to her. You know, I don't know that I felt that way about it. I just didn't like that song. It was just cheesy to me at the time. I remember it came out and I remember the video uh, and it just didn't sit well with me but they tried to put it back in the set i think in the last couple years and they did it once or twice and and just couldn't stand singing it anymore and just basically said nah nah we're not doing that no more so they took it back out of the set but yeah that's one of the only tunes that really just irks me about uh hearts catalog yeah, I don't mind that song at all. I actually like it a lot. I kind of like the story. Is it creepy? Uh, it's uh, you're cheating on your husband, basically, right? So I, <laughs> I don't know if it's creepy. Yeah, I don't know if it's <laughs> creepy. It's probably not, you know, moral. I, I don't know. Uh, ethical? I don't know. The stories you hear from either Nancy or Anne about this time period really makes you feel like they didn't feel like they needed to be saved. They didn't feel like they needed to come back. They sure the hell didn't think they needed Ron Nevison, right? They didn't. But you know what? There is some magic on those three or four albums that can't be touched. Obviously, Capitol Records knew what they were doing. No doubt about that. All right. Well, we know everything starts with Kiss, so let's go there. You wanted the best, and you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So I was really excited about the tie-in with the Kiss song that you were going to pick for this episode because I thought, you know, Ann Wilson, she plays flute, so there's no way Sonny's not going to pick the Wicked Lester version of She with the flute on it. You didn't do that, though, did you? No, I didn't. And there's not a lot of ties from heart to kiss because there's some interviews out there that you can find where and somebody asked Anne should kiss have taken their makeup off and and said something like yeah they should just put it back on and then people took that the wrong way thinking oh well you think they're ugly or they're blah 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 and all she was trying to say was they were more mysterious that way they should have kept the mystery going that's what she was trying to say <laughs> but yeah these guys uh, they don't have a lot of connection so instead i went with well kiss has songs that have heart in the title. So I got a trivia question for you. Do you know how many Kiss songs released on official albums have the word heart in the title? 
Jesus Christ, I'm so good at trivia. There's no doubt that I can nail this one, too, along with all the rest of the trivia questions that I nailed. Well, let me see. The answer is no, I don't know. But if you give me a couple of minutes to look <laughs> it up. Just guess. <laughs> I don't know. Only two come to mind right off the bat. Two. Okay. So the answer is four. Okay. Okay. So the first one is Eat Your Heart Out, which is on Monster. Yeah. Hide Your Heart, which is on Hot in the Shade. Yeah. King of Hearts, yeah. which is also on Hot in the Shade. Love that one. And the fourth is a song we're going to play today. We've talked about them before. It's a band called Quarantine. Chris Jericho from Fozzie on vocals. What the fuck is Sonny Pony? PJ Farley from Trickster on bass. Ken Slucher from Luke Bryan Band on drums. And our friend Joe McGinnis, who's joined us on episode 35. He was on an episode in August 2020 discussing the music of 1990. He's also got classic 78 ties on guitar. Here's the fourth song that's got a heart in the title done by Kiss. Their buddy Bruce Kulick joins them on guitar for a cover of Heart of Chrome.
always been a tune I loved off of Revenge. Such a great song. And they do a great version. It's it's like, you know, a more modern recording of it. So it sounds fantastic. Yeah. And the video is actually more domino because he kind of plays off the domino video, but mm-hmm. they're singing Heart of Chrome. And Chris does a good job with it. I'll tell you, it takes balls to take on Paul Stanley. Like, especially like 83 to 92 Paul Stanley. Like now you're talking about the peak of his voice. Mm-hmm. So he does a good job. Yeah, he does. All right. So final thoughts on heart. Here's my final thoughts. They got 28 good songs out of 160 something. I'm sorry. I love the Wilson sisters. And yes, they are super important in music history and they opened up a lot of doors for women in rock. And I love a lot of the people that they were influenced by when it comes down to their core music. Again, I'll say it 85 to 90 is really my bang zone. A lot of the songs I talked about today, a majority of them came from that time frame, and they've got some classics that you could hear the rock in some of these other albums, but it would be for a song or two. And then it would end up back in that gypsy flute, Joni Mitchell crap that I can't listen to. But in the end, These 28 songs I have on a playlist in Spotify, and I will listen to them while playing a video game, while cleaning around the house, while cooking. It's great music, and some of this stuff will be staples in my life forever. Yeah, so not too long ago, I don't remember how long it's been now, but we did a influential females in rock and roll type episode for Grown Up Rock, and I'm almost positive that we mentioned Uh, the Wilson sisters in that episode at some point. Most of the artists that we probably mentioned in that episode all will tell you that Hart most likely influenced them in some way, shape, or form. So going back to the 70s and starting out, they don't hide their influences. They'll tell you, you know, Joni Mitchell and Zeppelin and things like that. And they do a good job of mixing it up. And just like Sonny said, their records are hit or miss for me because they have a lot of slower stuff on some of the records that I'm just not, I'm not a huge fan of. I got to be in the mood for a lot of that stuff. And it's not that they don't do it well. I think they do it really well, but again, got to be in the mood, but their rock and stuff is not only a staple of FM AM radio when I was growing up. It's a staple of my life in a lot of ways because these songs are undeniable. Barracuda and Wild Child and White Lightning and Wine and Crazy on You and the list goes on and on. And Sonny may have 20 some odd songs that he has on a playlist that he loves, but I have a little bit more. So I probably have, let's say, close to 40 songs that I will listen to on the regular from all their records and they've been around long enough. 40 songs, that's pretty good. I mean, that's four great albums with 10 songs apiece. And for me, that's enough to to say, hey, I really appreciate this band and like this band. And so uh, that's more than a lot of artists give us. So I'll take what I like, leave what I don't, and keep listening to heart as long as I want. Coolio, just want to let the listeners know, thank you for listening. Thanks for all the comments. Thanks for the feedback. We'll take good or bad. We don't really care, but we appreciate you. And happy Valentine's Day. Go treat your significant other with some nice chocolate or some nice flowers or a nice little kiss. Happy Valentine's Day. Thanks for everybody listening. 
Hope we enjoyed this episode. See you next week. Or rather, hear you next week. Or talk to you next week. What are we doing next week? I don't know. Ah, we don't know. We'll figure it out. (laughs) See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. make sure you subscribe to our podcast Growing Up Rock and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.